Happy Easter. I want you to stay standing for a reason. Here, here's uh, what we want to just talk as we talk about the tomb being empty and that Jesus is victorious, that he is alive. This, this morning, early this morning, um, in Sri Lanka, there were several bombings. The number is over 200 people are dead. There were three churches that were bombed, out, bombings outside of three churches and three hotels. People that were going to celebrate that the tomb is empty, um, uh, their lives were taken. There are three hotels, like I said, and three churches. And what I want us to do right now, as we declare that Jesus is alive and that he's victorious, that God would reign supreme in Sri Lanka and all over the world, and that we pray for our brothers and sisters who are going through a very difficult time right now. So I want you to go ahead, and I just want you to bow right now as we go and lift them up at this moment. God, I come to you in Jesus' name. We, we know that you have a beautiful name. There is no rival. That you are set apart, that you are alone, that you are holy, and that you are good. We know that you are good because that tomb is empty, and you are risen, and you are risen indeed. And we declare that today, we celebrate that today. But in the midst of all that, we come to you right now and we pray for the country of Sri Lanka. We pray for the people in the cities where these bombings took place. We pray for the country. We pray for those pastors that are over there that were worshiping and that those that might be able to be used as an influence for your, for your glory. Use them. Speak through them. Encourage them. For the believers up there, over there, God, we ask you to uphold them with your righteous right hand. We ask them not to fear you, but, and, but to be strengthened by you. We ask you to watch over them, to protect them, to be with them, to be that country. Lord, they are our brothers and they are our sisters. We may not physically see them ever in our lifetime. But one day when you come back and as believers we get to sit with them and, and, and eat with them and worship you together. So we hold them up through prayer and ask you to comfort them. You are the God of all comfort. You are the God of all peace. You are the God of all hope. You are alive. You are not dead. We declare those things about you and to you. We desire to glory in your name. So Lord, as we gather in here freely, may we be captivated that we are allowed to come in here freely in this place of Cary, North Carolina, in a public school to worship you in spirit and in truth. So God, help us to do that Help us to understand the freedom that we have to do that. And again, we lift up that country of Sri Lanka and we ask you to reign supreme and we ask you to make your name great in the midst of this situation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, happy Easter. I'm gonna welcome you here to Northwest Community Church. It is an honor to be able to, to be with you on this Easter Sunday. We sit here and we declare Every single Sunday, but especially this Sunday, we declare that he has risen and he has risen. It's a truth. It's a truth that we get to stand on. It's a truth that we get to declare and it's a truth that we get to celebrate. And so today, that's what we're going to do together. We're going to do that over the next 30 minutes that I'll be up here for, for a little while. I want to talk to you, introduce you to someone. His name is Buford Shelton Rice Sr. Buford Shelton Rice Sr. is my grandfather. Buford Shelton Rice Jr. is my father. And thank you, Lord, that I am Matthew Shelton Rice. Now, Buford Shelton Rice Sr. 
passed away on July 16th when I was six years old. But I do remember some very, very interesting things about my grandfather. Most specifically, a lesson that I learned from my grandfather was at his funeral. He was dear to me. I would watch him ride his horses. He was in like rodeos and he, would, he had chickens and we'd go to the chicken house and get eggs. And, and I just learned some things about him. But it was at his funeral that I learned something really profound that really allows me to even stand up here today and be able to declare to you that the tomb is empty, that the resurrection is a critical point in the history of the world. It was at his funeral that I was sitting there. There was a lot of emotion, lots of tears. And I was asking my parents right before the funeral, like, where is Pop? I want to know where he is. And they would declare to me that Matt, he had a relationship with Jesus. He repented of his sins, placed his faith in Jesus, and that his soul will be resurrected. And that really confused me. I mean, I had just been to the funeral home and I had seen his body in a casket. And they had told me that he was going to be resurrected. So after the funeral that day, I was sitting out, like I remember it was yesterday, sitting out by this crepe myrtle tree at the family farm. And my dad came over to me. He knelt down like dads do, eyeball to eyeball, we're looking. And I said, Dad, I just want to go to the cemetery and I want to watch him go up. That's what I said. I want to see him be resurrected. I want, I want to watch him do that. And now, my dad, in the way a dad can do, explained to me that that's not the way it works. But what he did explain to me that day is he explained to me that day that we are separated from God be, because of sin. And there was absolutely nothing in the world that we can do about it. Nothing that we can do about it. And that's why God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus to be brutally killed on a cross. And then go into a tomb. And then, praise God, come out. So that that debt that we have could be paid and paid in full. And that we could live in light of that victory. And so, I don't know if you're here today and the resurrection confuses you. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're here with friends. Maybe church coming to church is not something that you regularly do. I just want to say that I want to welcome you here. And in God's sovereign plan, he has you here in this moment, in this day. And I want to thank you for being here. And for those of you that called Northwest your home, the story of the resurrection you know and I know is, is, is a message that declares to us that we can live and live for him and in him and by him. And so today I just want us, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves in understanding the gospel, understanding the resurrection of Christ, I just am grateful that we're here, we're here together, and we're here to talk about um, the greatest event in all of history. Are you with me? It's the greatest thing that ever took place. And I pray that at the end of today that you would be encouraged by that. The first four words of the Bible declare to us what kind of journey that we're on. First four words, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. It's a faith journey. There are things that we will be able to see and see clearly, and there are things that we will not be able to see and see clearly. And so right from the very beginning, God in his sovereignty is saying, I want to invite you, I want to invite you on this journey of faith. Please come with me. And I want to show you some things that you need to know that will provide you victory in your life. When we take a look at the importance of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only. What is it saying? This is all that there is. This is all there is. It says, we are of all people 
most to be pitied. It's sad if this is just all there is. Lee Strobel, who was an atheist for a lot of his years, and he's Ivy League educated lawyer, went to work for the Chicago Sun Tribune as a legal analyst, decided in a pursuit after his wife came to faith in Christ, decided to go out and to prove that Christianity was a lie. And this is what he said after really trying to prove that and after becoming a follower himself, said this, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I'd have, an, I'd have even a happier life than I was as an atheist. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling. Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. Another pastor went on to say this, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, an event occurred that permanently changed the world. Because of that event, history was split. Every time you write a date, you're using the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the focal point. And another pastor said, the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all the other human philosophy and religious speculation. And I declare to you today that we serve a unique savior. He is unique in how he came into the world born of a virgin. He is unique in that he was completely without sin and he is unique in that he came out of the grave. That is who we serve. That separates Christianity from anything in the world because all other faith systems declare that you do this in order to get to God and Jesus said, no, 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 no. God said, I do and I'm coming to you and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna show that to you by an empty tomb. And I praise God that one day he'll come back. So because of that victory, because of that empty tomb that we have, not only can we have victory right now, God says we can have that right now. I've given you life and given it to you to the full. That's what he came. We can have victory right now. We can have victory over our past. We can have victory right here in the present. And we can have victory in the future when we sit down with all of our brothers and sisters from all over the world and we worship Jesus. Those from India, Sri Lanka, from Greece, all of those who call on the name of Jesus. What I wanted to do for us today, really to captivate, really the understanding of the resurrection, is to take a look at John's account. It's the Gospel of John, that's where we'll be. John chapter 20, 1 through 29. We will not cover all of these verses. We'll go 1 through 9, and then we'll go 19 to 29. And we're going to jump in, and we're going to read a couple of verses and talk about it, and then we've got three points, what the resurrection declares. So let's start in verse 1. Here's where we take place. Jesus had just been crucified. He'd been brutally, brutally crucified. He'd been placed on a cross. He'd been taken down from the cross. He'd been placed in a tomb, and we pick it up in John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So one of Jesus' fathers, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb on Easter morning. She comes to anoint his body with oil. She looks, and the tomb is rolled away, and she basically is going, somebody has stolen him. He has been taken. Somebody has robbed him out of the grave. So verse 2, this is what she does. 
Verse 2, she says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. How would you like to have that title? My, my name is Simon Peter, but this is the guy Jesus loved. <laughs> By the way, his name is John. Okay, we find that in the other places in the gospel. His name is John. So we have Simon Peter, we have John. And said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciples and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And if we would contextualize this today, we would tell Peter, hey, you need to work on your 40 time. Okay, you need to work on your 40 time. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. So John looks in, sees the linen cloths. These are the cloths that they wrapped Jesus' body in. He sees these cloths, but he doesn't go in. Then we see verse 6, and then Simon Peter came, following him, but he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So Peter and John are running there. John gets in, he peers in, he sees the linen cloths. What was wrapped up in Jesus is now laying there. Peter goes in. He takes a closer look. A couple of things that we can take place. What they eliminated at this moment and at this time was that Jesus' body was not robbed. It wasn't a burglar who came in because that was not what they would do. Take off the clothing and throw them down and just leave. They would just grab and run. That's not what they would do. What they came to believe was a miracle had just taken place, that Jesus had been resurrected. That's what they came to believe. Verse 8 says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. Listen to this. I don't want you to miss this. This has been my prayer all week for everyone in this room. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Listen, I have been begging God on your behalf all week long, some of you specifically and some of you generally. Asking that as you come in here today, whether you've been a Christian for a little while, a long while, or maybe you're not one yet, but that you would see and that you would believe. That we, as we take a look at the resurrection, we consider the resurrection, we consider the ramifications of the resurrection, we consider what the resurrection declares. That you, with spiritual eyes and an open heart, would be able to see and that you would believe. That you would not leave this place without declaring, I see who you are, God. And I believe who you are. And that it would radically change your life. That has been my prayer for you all week. Is that you would see and you would believe. Verse 9 continues the text. Continues the story. For as yet they did not understand the scripture. That he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So now we're going to jump over to verse 19. And that really will go all the way to the end of the chapter now, so Jesus is going to appear before his disciples. Take a look at verse 19, what it says. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so it'd be Sunday evening, the, the door's being locked. Here's what's going on. They were followers of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so they were following him. They followed him. They saw Jesus be crucified. Now what's going on is they're scared to death because they know that they're followers of Jesus. What is causing them to have so much incredible fear is they believe they could be next. So they go behind the door, they lock the door, and they stand behind the door and gather together and talk and commiserate together. Second part of 19 says, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Listen to me, I don't want you to miss it. He says, the doors are locked, 
They're in fear. And what does Jesus do? He comes, he stands in the middle of them. And that's what he does for you and me. That is what the empty tomb declares. That he comes and he stood among them. Not only did he stand among them, but he declared to them to calm them down. And this is what he said. He said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, I believe they were absolutely shocked and stunned and didn't have any words to say. And he says, hey, I'm just going to show you who I am. And so he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And the disciples were glad that they saw him. He looks at them and he says, peace be with you. I'm here. I am who I said I am. I did what I said that I was going to do. I am the fulfillment of the prophecies from a long time ago. I'm the Messiah and I want to be your Messiah. Then he comes to them another time. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again. That is the beauty of the grace of God. Not only does he tell us once, but he tells us again. Anytime we see that Jesus says things twice, that's pretty important, right? We understand. First he said, peace be with you. He said it again, peace be with you. And then he gives them a bold declaration. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He's in the room with them right now and he gives them a purpose for their life. What I want you to do is I want you to be instruments of carrying this message of peace, this message of an empty tomb. I want you to carry that to the world so that they'll know. I want them to know the peace that I give to you and I want them to know who it is that I am. Verse 22, he gives them the power of how to do this in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is, it is withheld. What he's declaring to them today is as we speak the forgiveness and peace of God, it is as if God is pleading through you. Be reconciled to Jesus, which is what, what it says in Corinthians. You are an instrument of mine. You are an instrument of mine. That changes a little bit of direction here. Jesus had come to the disciples. He had come to the disciples. He had come to all of the disciples. But what we learned in chapter 24 is that Thomas was not there. Um, if we were to contextualize this, I heard one pastor say, Thomas was out on the first ever Starbucks run. That's where he was. So now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them. When Jesus came, verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Listen, he had just told them, go, peace be with you. As I have been sent, so I send you. He had just told them, go and tell. Thomas comes back from wherever he was on the break that he had. He comes back in. First thing he said is, Thomas, you are not going to believe this. But Jesus came right through that door. No, no, no. He didn't unlock the door. He didn't step through the door. He came right through the door. He told us, he showed us his hands, he showed us his feet. And Thomas, being skeptical, he has a nickname in the Bible called Doubting Thomas. I think probably skeptic is a better title. But he's skeptical. Some things have taken place, we'll talk about that in a minute. And he's not really sure who this Jesus is. And so what do we see? What does he say? What does Thomas say? Maybe some of us can recognize or relate to Thomas's frustration here. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Listen, we've all heard never say never, especially when you're dealing with someone who came into the world 
born of a virgin, without sin, went into a grave and came out. Thomas says, I will never believe. Eight days go by. Verse 26, here we are. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He comes to Thomas individually. Nobody told Jesus that Thomas was struggling. Nobody told Jesus that Thomas was not there or that he had come back. Jesus knew all of that. And he knows every single thing about your life, the struggle, the frustration, the confusion. He knows every single thing about your life. Verse 27, and then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Jesus was not told what Thomas needed in order to believe. He was not told that. Jesus comes to him and says, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. One of the greatest statements in all of the Bible, verse 28, Thomas answered him. And he said, my Lord and my God, my Lord. And my God, and please, please see the pronoun he uses. My Lord. My God. He doesn't say our. He doesn't say their. Jesus comes to Thomas individually. And Thomas gives a declaration. My Lord and my God. It's basically a personal assent to his belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was sent to take away the sins of the world, and the resurrection declares that. And Thomas had come to believe that, as it says in 27 and 28. 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is a blessing for you and I right now because you probably could sit there and say, yeah, sure, it's easy for Thomas to believe. He, he, he needed something and God showed him. And listen, some of us are in here right now and we're asking, God, I want to see you do this and I want to see you do this and I want to see you do that. And he didn't and he, he didn't do that for you. You're saying it's easy. Here, I want to let you know something. The reason that we have this story in the text is because we could use Thomas's testimony that God is sufficient and God is good. And sometimes he answers and sometimes he doesn't. But what he does always answer with, no matter what we go through, is his presence. Let us never forget that. He always answers with his presence. We may not see healing. We may not see, hey, we want a child. We didn't get a child when we wanted to. We may not see the new job. But what we do is we have his presence. And Jesus comes into Thomas's life, shows him who he is. Then why do we have this record? Why do we have the book of John? It says in verse 30, this is why we have it. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that's the reason we have this book. That's the reason that we stand here and celebrate the resurrection, that we may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that we may see and believe, that we may, like Thomas, declare you are my Lord and you are my God. So what does the resurrection declare? I've got three things for you. Three things that I just want us to, to sort of summarize as I look at the text for us this morning. Three things. The resurrection declares Jesus does not need keys. The resurrection declares that Jesus does not need keys. I'm looking at this text and on two different occasions to the disciples, what does he do? He steps through the wall. He doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't use a key to open the door. He doesn't ask if he can come in. He comes in and, and he comes in 
to, to them as an individual, as a group, and he comes in them to an individual group as th- with Thomas. He steps in. I was sitting here and I was studying that this week, and I recognized that there are a lot of times as a parent, you probably could recognize this, where you're asleep and you are in the REM type sleep. If you have young children or you've, Maybe your kids are grown and gone, but you can always remember sitting in your bed and the deep sleep, and all of a sudden, you're still, your eyes are closed, you're still kind of asleep, and all of a sudden, you feel like somebody is looking at me. And you look and go, I think somebody's breathing on me. And you open your eyes, and peace is the last thing in the world you have at that moment. And you have a slobbering, snotty, four-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old saying, Daddy, I can't sleep. Daddy, I need some water. Daddy, I just want you to know I'm not asleep. (laughs) That's my favorite. I know you are, but I want you to know that I'm not. (laughs) So so I'm looking at this right here, and the guys are just sitting in here like, oh my gosh, what happened to Jesus going to happen to us? Are we going to go to this cross? They got the doors locked. They've gotten everything. They're together. They're like, they're confused, trying to figure it out like this. And Jesus just, he steps right through the door. He steps right through the door to calm them down, to show them that I am who I said I am, and I'm going to do what I said I would do. I want you to believe, and I want you to see. And that's what he says. What does this mean right here? I, I want to read this quote to you. There is no place where you are and no depths of personhood that you are, which Jesus can't step into and through. Most of us right now, maybe in this moment, are consumed with some type of fear. A fear of being a failure. A fear of being a failure at home. What are my kids going to turn out to be like? What am I going to do if I can't get the sales job done? If I can't turn in and get the bonus, get the contract? What am I going to do in the marriage? What am I going to do in this relationship, in that relationship? And all of that right now is coming up in fear. And I want you to know right now that Jesus doesn't need a key or your permission to step into it. He just steps into it. Because the empty grave declares that's what he can do and that's what he does. I want to encourage you with that. They were overwhelmed with fear. I want to read this quote I found. It says this, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I come to help them have enough faith to overcome fear. And he's declaring, like John, the question is, do we see and do we believe that? Isaiah 41, 10, one of my favorite verses of all time, it says this, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will help you. So you read that today and it says, I will help you. And you read it five years from now and it says, I will help you. He said, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You've heard me say this before from this stage, that Jesus is at the right hand of God. How in the world does the God of creation hold you and I up or strengthen you? He gives you his very best and that's Jesus. And that's how he holds us up. And he steps into that fear and he steps into that discouragement and says, fear not for I'm with you. I don't need a key to come into your life. And number two, what does he say? The resurrection declares that Jesus stands among you. Not only does he come in, but I want to make sure you say this. He's not on the outskirts of the playing field of your life. 
He's not watching, standing, watching it all go by. He's standing absolutely in the middle of it because there is nothing that happens in our life that does not come through the filter of his hands. And the resurrection declares that. And looking what he did to the disciples, I see that you're fear. I'm going to step through this door. There's nothing that's going to hold me back, but I want you to see where he stands. He stands in the midst of you, in the midst of it. He is not on the sidelines, just watching this thing take, take place. And I know that sometimes it feels like, God, where in the world are you? And I declare to you that the scripture teaches, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And the resurrection is a bold, bold scream of that truth. I want you to experience the living Jesus more than anything in the world. That's what I want. I want you to know him. I want you to draw near to him in your life. And I want you to sit there and rest and know that there is no one like him. And I pray that today would be a great encouragement for you to do that if you've been a believer for a long time. But if you've not, I pray that you will leave this place today and you will say, I see and I believe he is my Lord. He is my God. The last thing I want you to see really is a summary right now is this is that the resurrection declares a savior came for you. So what we see in this, this text right now is that Jesus steps into the group of disciples. There's a group of them. He st comes in, he stands in the middle. But not only that, but he comes into Thomas's life. Thomas is not there. Thomas comes, comes back in. They declare to him, hey, you gotta see this. We saw the risen savior. We saw him. And then he makes this bold declaration, I will never believe in that until I see his hands and touch his side. And then what takes place? The God of the creation goes after the one. He comes back in, eight days later, comes back in and he stands before Thomas. But we got to understand where Thomas is so we can sympathize where just he was, what he was thinking. You see, Thomas was probably a fisherman, and, he, and Jesus came to him and said, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so, hey, he dropped everything, and he starts following. And he declares who he is. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say this. Follow me, follow me, follow me. I am the king. I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. And Thomas is going all along with that. And then all of a sudden, he goes, and he gets radically beaten. The Romans have taken him, and they were experts on beating someone up until they died. And then they would take him and hang him on a cross. And this situation with Jesus is radically different because there were a lot of people in the crowd more so than just a, another common criminal. And so the whips that he was getting and the scourging that he was getting and the insults that were being thrown were probably a little bit stronger here than just another crucifixion. The Romans had mastered this. We're, gonna, we're going to beat him up until he dies. Then what we're going to do is we're going to humiliate him and we're going to put him up on a cross. We're going to do that in a public location. In 2013, I had the absolute privilege of going to Israel and standing where this took place. And it was the old city of Jerusalem. And right outside the old city of Jerusalem, which was a major entrance into the city, is this place of the skull. And right next to it, over off to the side, was what they believed to be the tomb where Jesus was placed in. And so Thomas is sitting here going, all right, guys, I, I might be a little slow, but I'm struggling right now because I said I'm going to follow him right now. But I'm a little, like, I'm, I'm getting a lot of business from my boys. They're, they're jabbing me a little bit. Oh, great Savior, great Savior there, Thomas. 
He couldn't even save himself. Listen to me. That was not his job. His job was to glorify King Jesus and save us. That was his goal. That was his purpose. To glorify the king. Not to save himself, but to glorify the king and to save us. And he did that fully. He paid it in full. And Thomas thinks, Jesus, you're going to come and take care of the bad guys. And the good guys win. And, and, and I'm a little disappointed in what you did. And I'm a little humiliated that I said this. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus steps into, through a door, looks him straight in the face. And says, Thomas, peace be with you. Touch my hand. Touch my side. And Thomas, at that moment, who declared, I will never believe, changes course and says, my Lord and my God. His life was altered and his testimony is for us today. And I'll declare to you today that Southern India has known of this man, God man named Jesus, Southern India, because of this guy named Thomas. He is responsible for taking that message of peace over to this country in the southern part of India. And he is the one who brought the gospel to those people because he declared my Lord and my God. So what do we do today? We stand on his testimony. We see the testimony of John, which says, what I want you to do is I want you to see and I want you to believe. We look at Thomas and he says, my Lord and my God. Let me ask you a question. What do you see and what do you believe? What do you see and what do you believe? I pray that you would not see your good works as your righteousness. I pray that you would not see your good effort or your church attendance or your lack of church attendance. I pray that you would see and you would savor the message of, of, of God coming to us in the form of a man, fully God and fully man, going to a cross, going into a grave, and coming out of the grave so that we could live and be victorious. And my prayer as you leave this place today is that you would be able to, like Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He comes to us with a bold declaration, bold declaration, and says, I'm come to give you peace. And it's not like anything you've ever seen. Because I don't give peace like the world gives. I give it like my father gives. You're here today out of God's sovereign orchestrated plan. You're not here by accident. You're here in this place and you're here in the world because of God's orchestrated plan. His desire is for you to have a relationship with Jesus. And we are separated from him because of sin. But that cross, that cross and the empty grave represents that we can have victory and we can have it right now. So I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you this one question. What do you see and what do you believe? I'll ask you this question. What would it take for you this day to become a full follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of him? What would it take for you to do just that? I don't need to know what they are. But I am going to pray that if whatever hindrance there is that's holding you back 
from fully believing in who he is, I'm going to ask God for his leadership, his wisdom, and his spirit to move in that way in your life. And I would ask you another question. I'm not asking you, do you want to go to heaven? Because everybody wants to go to heaven. What I'm asking you is, what will you do with Jesus today? As we sing and as I pray, please think about that question, those questions. The text is very bold and very clear. May we see, may we believe, and may we live for him. Let me pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, I'm thankful for the text this morning and for what we can learn and what we can see. You are so good. You are so great. God, we love you. We thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for an empty grave. We thank you that we can celebrate you. We thank you that we can see and believe. Help us to do that. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, I pray that t- today would be a day that they, for the very first time, would, would repent of their sins and place their faith in you because you deserve it. Thank you for allowing us to be in this location at this time. Use these songs to help us worship you and declare that there is no one like you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.